Uh, that's the passages that we are going to be looking at for several more weeks. So you can be opening your Bibles to Matthew 5 and Galatians 5. That's where those two passages are found. And, uh, and, and today we're talking about morning believers. Now that could be taken several ways. Either you could say believers who are mourning or you are mourning that there are believers. That just those two words could make you think that. Um, or if you just heard it, you would think it's people that are believers in the morning. But uh, it's, it's spelled M-O-U-R, which means it is, a, it is an action and a state of, of being in grief. And so that's what we're going to uh, be talking about um, this morning. And so uh, go on to the next slide. Go ahead. I appreciate it. Um, thank you. Uh, those are the things that are listed. If you remember, just want to remind you, we're going to take each beatitude uh, in order and look at the same order in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And we're going to find that those uh, kind of are supposed to be that way. I, I cannot say that with definitive certainty, um, uh, but, but it certainly seems so. And so I'm going to hang in there with that. Others have, I'm sure, looked at it that way, but we want to look at it that way. So I, um, I asked uh, Miss Debbie to make a, a chart like that for us next week. The next one will be highlighted. So that's what we're going to look at today. So um, you can continue with the slide. Thank you. Um, we're going to be talking about the subject of mourning and the subject of joy uh, as, we, as we go forward. And, and here's uh, uh, just something I want you to take home with you. And that is a lack of mourning points to a numbness towards sin. A lack of mourning in our lives points to that there may be a numbness towards sin. That is, we've gotten used to it. That, I like that word numbness when it occurs. Uh, um, I had a very wise man tell me once uh, when it came to marriage as a man, you ought to pray that God will deliver you from numbness because your wife is not numb. She's very smart, very sharp. And uh, we as men sometimes need to pray that prayer. So I'm, I'm applying that here. We've heard the scriptures read. Would you pray with me a moment? We, we want to invite, uh, though God is present, uh, we need to get on the porch and, and sit at his feet. So uh, Lord, we do thank you that there are more than two or three here that believe in your name and trust you and are gathered here together to hear your word from the word of God, uh, both the living word and the written word. And uh, Lord, uh, you're using an imperfect vessel to communicate. So, uh, Lord, I, I know that. And I, I ask you to help me to say the things right and say the, uh, say the things rightly, but also to say the right things. And that, God, you would use the words that you've given us to understand what uh, the, the concepts you want us to put in our lives and have in our lives. Uh, give us a heart of understanding. Open our eyes that we can behold the wonderful things in your word. And we recognize that as a, an act of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And, and so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the Holy Spirit. And we ask you to, to have him open our eyes and our conscience for that. We thank you, Father, for your great love that you would give us the Son, that we might have your presence in the Spirit in our life. And we worship you, Father God, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, unity and Trinity and Trinity and unity. And God, we, we bless your name and we thank you. Uh, we ask you to protect us from our enemy, uh, which, uh, always lead, who always leads us to sin. And we ask that you would deliver us from that influence this morning. We bind the powers of hell by the name of Jesus. But, Lord, we know that that's not our power, that's yours. So, as Michael the archangel said, the Lord 
rebuke him. The Lord rebuke uh, Satan. So thank you, Lord, for, um, for being our protector and our shield. And indeed, as we just sang, you are our salvation. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, if you weren't here last week or didn't hear it, uh, we have this passage in uh, Matthew called, uh, we call them the Beatitudes. It's the opening salvo of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, uh, The folks that went uh, to Israel back in the spring got to see where that happened, uh, the very mount where Jesus taught. If you go with them next year, you can go see it too. So you might want to consider that, but... But we want to uh, we want to hone in on what Jesus said, and and I, I was just sharing with Joe, who came and and prayed with uh, for us and with us this morning, that uh, that you know I I was one of those people that I grew up hearing them, seeing them, calling them the Beatitudes. I didn't know what that meant, uh, but uh, but but seeing that, and you take them as these are nice phrases, and oh, wouldn't that that would just be nice if we were that way. But as soon as I began studying these things, and I just felt impressed the Spirit to go to them um, and, and to look at them and to do this sermon, I, I really uh, was not super knowledgeable about the content and what it was really saying. And that sounds horrible for me to say, but that's, that's a lot. Martin Luther said, if we had leisure our whole life to never have to do anything but study God's Word, and we were to live 100 years we would never plunge its depths. Uh, so I understand that. So we're aware of things, and I, I want to help us to, to find, go a little deeper what God is, is communicating to us. So uh, I, I, that's why I ask him to help me, because I'm not capable. And, and so we come to this second beatitude here in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Last week we read... Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we understood that that poor in spirit meant that we were, we were totally destitute, that we had zero, we had nothing. And that means the wealthiest man in the world, apart from Christ, is poor in spirit. If he comes to be in Christ, he's still poor in spirit, but now Jesus pours his spirit into that man so that the riches of his life are not his own, but God in him. Y'all followed that last week, right? Amen. Well, if you realize that you are poor in spirit, what is a natural reaction? Mourn. You're going to mourn. You're going to mourn because you're poor in spirit because uh, a theological way of saying it is the depravity of man, which means that when Adam fell we were totally incapable of saving ourselves. There was nothing good left in us. Man, they're not good and bad people. They're saved and lost people. And some lost people can act good. And some saved people can act not so good, right? But the saved person should be convicted by the Holy Spirit and grow in the knowledge of Christ. Amen? But the goodness an evil man does doesn't get him to heaven because he's still guilty. That would, my friend Brad is right here on the second row. That'd be as if I murdered Brad and I got caught and I went to court and I looked at the judge and said, well, I only did it one time and he really deserved it and was mean to me and I don't plan on killing anybody else, so you ought to let me go. No, you're guilty, right? And the Bible says if you break one part of God's law, you're guilty of all of it. 
You see, if I were to murder Brad, I would be coveting his life. I would be desiring uh, the things of his life. I would have hatred toward him. You break every commandment. I am not honoring God who created him in his image. I'm, I'm doing so many things. I'm breaking the whole law. And so I'm guilty. And when you realize that, that you're poor in spirit, you begin to mourn. Let me, let me get into that word just, just a little bit deeper. <clears throat> and so to mourn, means to grieve either the feeling or the action. All right, so if, I am, if I'm a person that mourns, we, we think of when someone passes away, someone you know, dear to, or someone is in a bad situation or they're sick or something. Oh, we grieve for them or we mourn for that loss. But this mourning, it means to grieve in feeling or action, but it goes a little further than this. And I'll just go ahead and give you a hint into something, and that is this. As I looked up the definition of this word in, in the Greek dictionary, uh, the original language of this, it said, often in contrast, which means the opposite of, wait for it, joy. And we're going to see in a minute the corresponding fruit of the Spirit is joy. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about how that works when we get there. And so this word mourn look at it with me I, I want to ask you do you notice something weird there look at verse 4 blessed are those who mourn any questions jump to mind if I walked to you and say you know you ought to you ought to mourn your question ought to be mourn what Jesus didn't tell us what to mourn he said mourn now, he just told us about being poor in spirit. And I, I've given some hint to that, that we ought to mourn. Number one, I, I'm going to give some suggestions. This may not be all uh, that there is, but to mourn over our own sin. I, 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 will, I will tell you that even in the church, we don't think about mourning over sin. I, I just, those of you who've been here for a long time at Calvary, I mean, you can go back over the past 20 years and there's a lot to mourn. There's a lot to grieve. There will be a lot to mourn and a lot to grieve. It's part of living in a fallen world. But did we ever stop and say, let's mourn this horrible thing that has happened? Or it's not necessarily a horrible thing, but you might mourn or grieve uh, the loss of a beloved person that, that was wonderful. It, it is good for us to mourn because that's where God's going to meet us. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of, of, of birth. You know, a house of where someone has passed away than that because that's the end of every man and it makes you realize. And if we stop and understand our condition, we'll want to mourn. But Americans don't mourn. Americans like to react or retaliate or get revenge. And we let this attitude get to us even in the church, we've lost the ability to mourn because we see ourselves as right and righteous when we ought to be poor in spirit. And we don't grieve the sins of others. We don't feel sorrow for our own sin or the sins of others. And we don't grieve when the wicked rule. And so I would suggest that we ought to mourn over our own sin first. I want you to just look at that for a minute. Our response is, I'm sorry if I got caught. But it's never to mourn what we did. I, I, and that never, I shouldn't use a, a word that strong. But many times, in the majority of times, we're not 
sorrowful for the sin, we're sorrowful for the consequences of our sin. And so we, we might get sorry we, we get caught, but we don't mourn because we don't realize when we sin, we sin against God and God alone. Now, the Bible says that. David said that in his repentant prayer, Psalm 51, a prayer that uh, talks about this kind of thing. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. I'm quoting King James. Against you and you only have I sinned. He said, why is every sin against God? Because he made the rules. Something that a, a lot of people don't understand, especially those outside of the faith of Christianity, is this. There is only one truth. It's very popular to say, well, that's your truth, but my truth is different. That's impossible. There is only one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. I'm the way. I'm the life. So all truth is in him. He is called the word of God because he is the living word through whom God speaks to us. He put on flesh so we could see who God is, the concept of God uh, spoken to us in a body in Christ. But he also, the words of his mouth are recorded and the Bible is the revelation of his will. So there is no right or wrong unless there is an objective standard that is above and beyond human beings. And, I, and I've asked people, I said, well, why is it wrong to murder? Well, everybody knows it's wrong to murder. Not, not unless you know this. Because if you're your own God, you can make up any rules you want. I mean, the, the, most, common, the most common illustration of that is Hitler, right? Or we might say Osama bin Laden. Because neither one of those men thought they were doing anything wrong. Because they were God unto themselves. And they did not, not have this to tell us what is wrong. And so when we realize that our sin is against God and a holy God, we have to repent before that holy God. And by the way, remorse is not repentance. Repentance can't happen without mourning. Repentance requires a change of heart and mind. And if I go, yeah, I know I'm bad, uh, especially when I caught, and I say, oh, I repent, I'm sorry. Really, did you? Are you actually going to change the way you live? Or are you going to keep doing it? And you're just sorry. You just think you can keep saying, I'm sorry. You can't do that. The, the current American church today, and I, I, this is a condemnation, and, and, and I'm very careful as I say this. I don't want anybody. I, I believe the church, the true church, the believers that follow Christ, and not just the people who show up in the auditorium, but the people that follow Christ are the bride of Christ. And they're his bride, and I would never insult Jesus about his wife. That's a, danger, that's a dangerous thing to do to a man. I'm definitely not going to do it to the Son of Man, Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? But many times in the current American church, the popular culture of it, we want to have a good show. We want to have a comforting platitude and three steps to success. The reason certain preachers are popular is they put on a good show they comfort you with a platitude and give you three steps to success in life so you can have your best life now because God wants to bless you and make you wealthy <clears throat> wrong on all counts okay 
Now, I, I don't want to be a depressing preacher, you know. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. But you're going to see this is the start of that. You know, there, there was one preacher who was always telling people they were going to hell. Somebody came and said, you ought to be more positive. He said, okay, I'll, next sermon I'll be positive. God says, if you don't repent and accept Christ, you're positively going to hell. So uh, I, I want to be positive, but I, don't, I, can't, I can't alter the truth. So when there's sin in our church, do we mourn it? We don't even want to mourn over our own sin. I don't want to be perceived as pointing any fingers at anybody else, by the way. I've said this, but this is more true in this series than ever before. I'm pointing like this. I'm not putting anything that way. Everything is here. It it is, when I start to study this, it is so convicting to me. Because I know I, I, I need it. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody within this church in the past or any other person today anywhere. But I am looking at that and saying, is that right or wrong? And where am I in that process? And when I realize that I sin, I ought to fall on my knees and mourn the damage, the sin in my life has caused my life, my loved ones, and the life of others involved around me. And we know the difference when somebody pulls in and tries to protect. We just, we're going through that in the Southern Baptist Convention now. We are learning that men that we super respected, yes, overall their lives were so impactful for the gospel. But they messed up somewhere and instead of owning it, they hid it. Just this week, another man has backed out a little bit. And, well, let me, that's not right what it says. His name is... Well, his name left me. May the Lord don't want to tell you his name. But he's a well-known pastor. A woman that he was Instagramming on a direct message. They, they were, that's what they were doing. His wife knew he was doing that. Her friend came to him and said, Are you Instagramming my friend a lot? And did you say this? And it wasn't sexual. It wasn't, he just said it was something the pastor shouldn't say. And you know what he did? He ran and told his wife, I've, I'm aware that I've been talking to her too much. You know I'm talking to her. He got his elders together and said, hey guys, this is what I've done. I need to step out because we don't need this to be seen. And he pulled himself out. And he hadn't, his offense was talking too much to one particular woman, not his wife. That's mourning over sin. That's saying, man, I blew it, and I don't want it to go any further. And I'm, I'm going to back out, and we're going to make sure I get right before I ever try to get back and stand up and proclaim God's word. That's, it's powerful. You, Matt Chandler, his name came back to me. Lord, what me say it? Godly man. Got my respect even more now. We also should mourn over other people's sin. Well, well why? They're, they ought to mourn over their own sin. Well, they should. But do you know this? Do you know we accept sin when we laugh at it? This is a trick of our enemy. He gets us to joke about sin and we, you say, well, I would never do that. Okay. Maybe you won't, but I have. Okay. And let me give you an example in popular culture. A few years back, many years back probably, there was a TV show that came on called Modern Family. Immediately, it was the funniest show on television. It won award after award after award, year after year after year. 
And in that show, notice the title, Modern Family, What Does a Family Look Like Today? It was about a divorced man who married a much younger bombshell. His daughter was married to a, a, a leering and lustful man. His son was in an openly homosexual relationship. And in the arc of the series, he eventually married his partner. And we all laughed at it. Because the way they presented it was hilarious. I'm not going to discredit them. It was funny. And that might have been their only point. But there's only two sources of things on earth. God and the enemy. And I promise it wasn't God. And so we were entertained by sin. But I want to take that a step further. What does the church do when we go, oh yeah, you're right, that's sin. So we back up. We light, you know, we, light, we, we load up our gospel gun and go bam, bam, bam. Wouldn't it be better if we mourned over those who are trapped by the lies of our enemy? We ought to mourn that they are, that in their minds, those who would write and do these things, are, they have depravity. They, they don't know the truth. And we laugh at what they're doing when what they're doing is exhibiting things that God says is sin and brings condemnation to us. I, I understand this well because one of my dear brother-in-laws was openly homosexual and died of AIDS. And I've heard people in church say people like that got what they deserve. Those kind of people are just like us and are taken captive by our enemy. And we ought to mourn for them. We ought to cry for them. We ought to weep for them. Do we mourn the fact they're prisoners of war and need a SEAL Team 6 rescue? And you're SEAL Team 6. And we just want to stay in the training camp. We want to stay in the headquarters. We don't want to get out there. Where we put our own lives, our own spiritual lives on the line to bring them out of darkness into light. By the power of God and the love of Christ. God help us to show the love he has put into us for their deliverance. Because remember last week when you're poor in spirit. God pours love into you so you can pour love out to others. As we talk about the fruit of the spirit. He doesn't give it to you just so you'll feel good. He gives it to you so it, you can bring it out to people who need that. Thirdly I would say we ought to mourn over wickedness and power. When the wicked rule we ought to mourn. But we like to take sides and fights and fight over politics. Of course, my, my party's the right one, right? We live in this world, and we, 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 we've got to, but we've got to see the world with spiritual eyes. We have to see that none of them are right. None of them are right because none of them are the Bible party. Some of them will use the Bible when it's convenient, but man, if I can get more votes by saying, yeah, maybe not so much, then we'll do that. There is no godly secularism. It's all opposed to God. But God is in control. And what he is doing is bringing our world to an end so that he can usher in a better place, a better world, a world where there is no sin. But that's in the future. And right now, we ought to mourn when the wicked rule. We ought to mourn when those in power don't act fairly and do good. When they cause more suffering to people that we could help. Do we grieve when our brothers and sisters 
around the world, you leave these shores, and brother, you're going to find a place real fast where to claim the name of Christ openly means to put your very life on the line that you may die for just claiming Jesus. And do we mourn that wicked are in control around the world and rule the world? We ought to warn. There, there's two warnings in Scripture, and you can write these down. I don't know. if It's probably not on the slide because I asked her not to put all of my notes up there today. But listen to what Matthew 9, 15 says. You might write that down so you can look it up as well. But Matthew 9 and verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Our bridegroom has gone back to the father's house until the bride is ready and he'll come and get us and marry it and have the marriage supper of the lamb. Until then we ought to mourn as we await his coming. All creation mourns the redemption from sin. And there's another warning. It's in Luke 6, 25. Again, I encourage you to write that down and read this again later. Put it back. This is the Luke part that looks a lot like the Beatitudes. And there he says, Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Think about that. You can kind of make the connection quickly. And I'm not going to have three things at the end. Let me just tell you right here. You need to mourn your sin. You need to mourn the devastation of the lives of others in sin. We ought to mourn when we have wicked rulers in government around the world and in our world. But if you heard that last warning, he's saying the opposite of what we're seeing. If you are having, if you're, I'm going to say his book title again. If you're having your best life now, that means you're going to hell. Because I guarantee you, the best thing this life, this life has to offer is not heaven. Now, if he meant by that title, and I just let me give him a fair thing. If he meant that we ought to live the best Christian life we can now in the current situation, I agree. But I don't think that's what he meant. But that's my judgment. You can take that either way. I know that God told me I need to mourn. That I ought to be a mourn in mourning and I ought to mourn over the things that aren't right in my world but when we come to the corresponding part of the fruit of the spirit and I will say this over and over until those that come every week are sick of hearing it but if you haven't been here before the fruit of the spirit is not nine different fruits there's nine words there but it is one fruit with nine elements in it just like one drop of an orange has every vitamin in that orange in it so all, if you have the Holy Spirit, all of this ought to be in your life. And the word we come to is joy. Joy. I, I, I already told you that that, that that is in contrast. And by the way, I didn't actually finish this verse. So let me back up and use the word and show you the word comforted. Because it, it is a dynamic word. The word comforted, I, I, it surprised me when I saw it. I, it shouldn't have. It, it is kind of there in English. 
And, and we're going to see. So we, we've gone from the very worst. We're seeing what's happening. And then we're going to see how God fulfills it when the Spirit comes in our life. He says, they shall be comforted. And you have heard, you know, us preachers, we like to say Greek words as if you speak Greek. And, you know, that's not true. But, but we do that because that gets us closer to originally what God wants to understand, okay? So you've heard the word paraclete, right? It is a title of the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who comes and comforts us. And here it says you'll be comforted. So the paraclete, the one who comes from outside of us to us to comfort us, is the paraclete, the other comforter, Jesus said, when he told us he would send him. This word has the same beginning, para, but it's the word to call. It's parakaleo is the word, but like I said, that doesn't mean anything. Except it's to call out or to come alongside of by calling. When you mourn, when you mourn, God calls you to his side. How many of you remember falling down when you were a kid and like getting a really bad scrape? Didn't, might, you might have just been a sissy and it wasn't that bad and you just cried anyway. That's just a joke, y'all. Come on. And you, what, did, what did you yell? Mama! Right? You called out because you were hurt. You were, in, you were grieving the fact you just busted your head open, right? You were in trouble. You're going to cry out for your parent to come and bring comfort. And when we mourn, what God hears is, my people need help. And let me call out for them to come alongside of me. And be comforted. God brings you near to himself. He calls you into intimacy. He calls you to, to his care and his comfort. Because he calls you into a relationship with him. If I'm hurt and there's somebody I know close by. I'm going to call out to them. I'm not going to call out. No, not you. Just any stranger wants to help me come. No. Why? Because I know they love me. I know they care for me. And that they will come to my aid quickly because of that relationship. And I don't have to depend on maybe or maybe not a stranger might would even, even help. But God calls us. But there is no comfort without mourning. Why would God comfort you if you're not mourning? Why would God give someone comfort who doesn't think they need it? Because then it would just be aggravating. Why are you comforting me? I don't need that. Well, yeah, you do. You're just not smart enough to realize it. It's when we feel helpless and we realize our helpless estate. We mourn the imperfection that God brings us near. Because now we can listen to him. Now we can hear what he's been trying to tell us all along. And so he calls to us, literally to his side. And we have comfort because he is with us. He's alongside of us. So we must draw near to God when we mourn. That, that's the place to go. I, I said, why would God help you if you didn't have a need? Um, I was a Boy Scout for a short period of time, very short. But I went on a hike. In fact, my brother-in-law, who's with me this morning, he was on that hike with me. I was just a little kid. He's been around a long time in my life. And, uh, and, and so we're hiking this trail through uh, the, the, the uh, Princess Mary National Forest. And there was a gravel road there, and we're walking on the side in the grass. And the scoutmaster told me that there, they used to have a boy in that scout troop, and he was walking on that gravel, and he was going, ow, ooh, ow, ooh, ah. Every step he took, he was, because it was sharp gravel, he had thin shoes on or something. And he said, why are you walking over there? Why don't you walk in the grass? 
Why are you staying on the gravel? He said, because it feels so good when I get to the end of it. There are some people that just want to mourn instead of calling out to God and hearing God call out to us. Mourning is for a season. Psalm says mourning lasts for the night, but, and it's the word but, not and, not you still mourn, and, but joy comes in the morning, right? There's that word again. It is always in contrast. Mourning and joy are always in contrast. And so now, let me look at the word joy here in Ephesians I mean, Galatians chapter 5. The, the corresponding part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is an inward joyfulness in a Christian that has nothing to do with our circumstances. It is, it is joy because of the consciousness of the love of God that was last week. The presence of God in our life. Joy is often contrasted to mourning and this follows the love of God. If I realize I have love and that God loves me, and no matter what is going on in my life, no matter how bad this is that I'm mourning, God has me. He's going to bring me through that. He's taking me, as Jeremiah said, to an expected end. This is the message to Israel in captivity that God was bringing them to an expected end. So the Bible tells us in the New Testament, he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we have the joy of God because... No matter what, I'm going to wind up in heaven. That doesn't mean no matter what I can do anything I want. But no matter what man does to me here and now, no matter how bad it is where I am or how bad it is with me, I call out to God and he comforts me. He fixes what's wrong in me. He gives me comfort that he is with me in the journey. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Not I fear no evil because I'm bad. I'm, I'm the toughest dude in the valley. No, I fear no evil because God is by my side. Because God is with me. We have joy no matter our circumstances because God is present in our life. And it's not determined by circumstances. That's called happiness. But God didn't come to make you happy. He came to make you holy. He doesn't want you to be, well, I won't say he doesn't want you to be happy. Sure, he, it's fine if you're happy. But that's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is you'll be holy. You'll be like Christ. And if you're holy like Christ, you're going to be happy. That's an outpouring of what God does in you. But joy is a presence of God in our life that sees through the circumstances to the end and keeps us on the path. And if you think I'm wrong about that, let me quote you another verse found in Hebrews 12. And I'm not sure which number it is, one, two, or three in that passage, but it says this. About the, it's coming off of the, the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. And then he says, Therefore, run the race set before you with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author, the beginner, and the completer, the finisher of our faith. And then here's the phrase, who, talking about Jesus, for the, anybody know the next word? Joy. Set in front of him, endured the cross, despised its shame, because it was shameful for him to be there, and is now seated at the right hand. The joy Jesus saw of saving us kept him on the cross. And now he gives us joy. 
And when we see our sin, when we see the problems in the world, we can plow through because we got the joy of the Lord knowing that we're coming to a place where that's not going to happen anymore. And the blessing of God in eternity erases the tears that we shed when we see him. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. This fruit is given us not just for our health, health, but that we can exhibit it to other people. I know a man who told me, a guy came to him at his work and said, I know you've been going through some tough things lately, and yet I see you acting joyfully. What is that? And he got to tell him about Jesus. So we can show joy in the midst of our grief. But can we, can we love others like God? Can we show God's sufficiency in our need? Because he doesn't necessarily say he'll take away the problem, but he says, I'll be with you in the problem. That's why to call alongside is the, what he does when we mourn. He comes with us and he walks in. God doesn't take a man out of the valley of the shadow of death. He's just with him in the valley of the shadow of death. We get that confused. I remember Janice and I had something happening that just wasn't pleasant. And she said, how could, you know, we read in the Psalms and Proverbs and, oh, God is the victor and he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And yet it seems like sometimes in our lives he doesn't. Let's just be honest, right? Y'all not like me? Okay. Sometimes things are going bad and you go, hey, God, what, what happened? Where are you? He's like, I'm with you. I never said I was going to fix that. I'm just with you. Well, he told Paul, Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan, to keep him humble. And he said, Lord, would you please remove this? God said, no. He said, Lord, really, could you remove this? He said, no. Hey, Lord, come on, man. Would you re- remove this? I'm, you know, I'm modernizing this a bit. And God said, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. My presence, my power in your life is sufficient for you to endure it. And you will be an example to other believers. And here's Paul shipwrecked, five times beaten Three times with a cat of nine tails within an inch of his life. Stoned, I believe, to death. And he had the joy of the Lord. He had the joy of the Lord. You see, we live in a tension between mourning and joy. And there, a man named Robertson McQuilkin, he was, the last duty station God gave him uh, was to care for his wife who had Alzheimer's. But before that, he was the president of Columbia Bible College. And his most famous quote, and everybody ever went to that school could quote this. It is easier to go to a consistent extreme than to remain in the center of biblical tension. In other words, there's some people, I'll just be a sad sack their whole life. Oh, everything's horrible. And there are some people like, no, nothing bad's happening. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And God wants us to be in the middle of that. To realize We're poor in spirit and we have to mourn. But understanding that God pours out his love and his presence in our life. So we are comforted and we can function in a way that brings other people to know him. How do you act when you mourn? What do you do? Do you relive in the joy of the Lord? And therefore you're a witness to others in the midst of your pain. Instead of being devastated by what has happened in your life. Do you see the joy in it? This is an old illustration, but back in, the, back in the day, somewhere in the Midwest, this particular farmer, church was having a revival, and this particular farmer, he just would never come to the Lord. People witnessed to him, witnessed to him, he wouldn't come to the Lord. And the evangelist went to visit him and, and asked him, why wouldn't he come to the Lord? He said, because I know to become a Christian, I have to surrender all things to God, and I'm afraid he'll ask God 
God will ask me to give up all my crop to him, all the profit. Well, somehow they were able to lead that man to the Lord. And he was at church that week, and some messenger came running in and said, the locusts have come, and your crop is being eaten up by locusts. He said, okay. And they said, aren't you going to go? Aren't you upset? He said, hey, Lord wants to feed his locusts with my crop. That's fine with me. Well, I, I, that might be too far, but is that how you look at devastation in your life? Well, God's at work. It's going to be okay eventually. I, I'm telling you, that's not an emotion I feel, but it's an action I ought to adopt. When I realize I need to mourn and I realize that God is with me, I can live in the tension of these two things of joy and sorrow, and I can act the way that the character of God tells me to act even while I'm mourning the loss of, that I see in my life. Because God supplies a way to us, for us to live even while we mourn. We have joy in God knowing that nothing will separate us from the love of God, neither life nor death. Not height nor death, not poverty, not demons of hell, not things on this. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And so I live in that tension.